Our New Testament passage for this morning is in Ephesians 2. As we continue through this book, we'll be reading verses 11 through 22 today. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, that done in the body by the hands of men, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace. And in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away, and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Here ends the reading of God's inspired and inerrant word. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord remains forever. Amen. There's something very distinct about the body of Christ. We're united. We're family. And we would describe ourselves as being in Christ personally. That this is for us as individuals. But it's extremely essential that we don't forget that we are in Christ together. And this is a major theme that comes out of the book of Ephesians. And in the first part of chapter 2, we saw how the salvation that we have in Christ Jesus is by grace alone. And now Paul is going to show us ramifications of this. This salvation we have is substantial. It affects not only how we view ourselves, but it also is going to impact how we view each other. And as we quickly jump into our first verse from our passage this morning, we immediately get to a rather uncomfortable topic and I say that partly because we don't like talking about such things, but also because this is really a very tense topic from the early church. The first church council in Acts 15 shows us what an issue circumcision was for the early church. And that short verse there in Acts 15 might seem strange to us, but this was a major issue in the early church. From Abraham on, this circumcision was a sign that you were in the covenant. It was an external sign that you were a child of God. And this wouldn't have been an issue at all in the early church, but something substantial happened in the early church. The gospel went to Gentiles. 
And so suddenly, this becomes an issue. This was such a significant part of the Jewish faith. And now that Gentiles are coming to faith, well, they have to have this done. So for just a second, imagine an interaction that you would have had with a first century adult male Gentile. You tell him that he needs to repent of his sin. He needs to repent of his unbelief. He needs to reject the gods that he once worshipped. You tell him that he needs, all he needs is faith and trust in Jesus alone and he will be saved. And by God's grace, the Spirit works in him through this proclamation of the gospel. And he looks you in the eye and he says, I believe. I repent of my sin. I will trust in Jesus Christ alone for my salvation. You're so happy this man has come to faith. Sounds good, right? Now take that last part of that sentence up there from Acts 15, verse 1, that's in quotations, and imagine telling this guy, okay, now you have faith, but unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. Yeah. That'd be an interesting conversation, wouldn't it? So much for all you need is faith in the risen Christ. So much for grace alone, through faith alone, on account of Christ alone. It isn't just that this procedure would bring pain and illness to this man, but it it takes away from the very nature of the gospel. Salvation is a matter of faith. Salvation is a matter of trusting in Christ alone. So what is at stake here is pretty clear, and Acts 15 isn't the only place that this was an issue in the early church. The entire book of Galatians is Paul reprimanding the church at Galatia for mixing the idea of circumcision with faith in Christ. So while this issue isn't on our radar, it was a huge issue for the early church. For us, the issue isn't whether or not someone has had this procedure done, but it still does apply to us. The issue for us is, are we going to mix something else with faith in Christ? Are we going to insist that Some sort of work needs to be done. Are we going to question the salvation of someone else on the basis of something other than faith and trust in the risen Christ? Well, the New Testament is very clear on this for us. Salvation is by faith in Jesus Christ alone. It is not by works. And so while this seems like an off topic for us, it's very focused and concise here. For us, the work isn't circumcision, but mixing our own stuff in with the gospel. And remember what we saw last week in Ephesians 2, when we remember this fact, that you've been saved by grace through faith and not of of anything from yourself. When we remember that fact, we can understand why Paul has brought up this very uncomfortable topic. Because he wants people to understand that not even this Old Testament ritual that was so important, it showed that someone was a child of the covenant. Paul is saying even this doesn't matter. He's reminding them that even that very important ritual from the past isn't a sign of the covenant anymore. That's not the sign. Faith in Christ is it. It's all about faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And it is so important 
that we see that Paul is making an important distinction. Notice that he is talking about a circumcision that is done by the hands of men. He's talking here about a physical act performed by people. He's contrasting what has been done for the people through faith in Jesus. There's something more important that's been done by God. That was done by men. But this faith has been done by God. There was a physical act that was a mark of separation. But now God has brought all of his people together under Jesus. There's something of faith, something we can't see, that makes us understand who is in the covenant. Because before they were, they were separated, they were excluded, there was not hope for them. In the past, salvation was of the Jews. And why was that? Why were they excluded? Why was salvation of the Jews? God chose those people for himself, but also it was because where God had revealed himself to the people, Israel and the Hebrews, they were the ones that the promise of the Messiah was delivered to. They had the word of God which told of this story, this overarching story of redemption. And if faith comes by hearing, then they were the ones who were hearing. They heard the word of God. It came to them. But Paul is telling these people now that the word has come and it's because of what Jesus has done and it goes to everybody. And it's important that we recognize how brutally honest Paul is about all of this. He doesn't soften it at all. He, he's like a, a grandparent who's lost their filter and doesn't care what anybody thinks. He tells them, you weren't a part of us. You were outsiders. You didn't have access to God. You were without hope. And you have to really, really appreciate Paul's honesty here because it spells out the state of affairs to those who are reading this. Life without Christ. It's hopeless. It means you're an outsider. No soft edges for Paul. No soft edges at all. The only hope is that God will do something about this. And that is precisely what he wants us to know. God has done something about this in Christ. And that's how all of this changes. We need to understand that we are, we are not brought near to Jesus just because of a change of attitude. It took something valuable. To be near to God, it took the precious, priceless blood of Christ for us to be brought near. We're not separated from God because of bad attitudes or because we don't just understand him. We're separated by sin. He's holy. We're not. And so a price needs to be paid for sin. And that's what the sacrifices in the Old Testament were about because they involved the shedding of blood. A life was taken from an animal in the place of a person because sin had a price and it needed to be atoned for. And even the ritual of circumcision in the Old Testament was about the shedding of blood. It pointed forward to a sign of the covenant of the shedding of blood that was going to happen in Christ. It was about the need for forgiveness. And the only reason that we can now come near to God is because now this blood has been shed by God the Son for us. No longer does circumcision need to happen, the shedding of blood, because Jesus shed blood for us. 
Our status has been changed, not because of what we've done, but because what of God has done for us in Him. No more blood needs to be shed because the blood of Jesus was precious. It was powerful. It was sufficient. And we are to see that this blood has this power here. It brings peace. Not only peace with God, but it creates peace between people, according to Paul. There's no more conflict between Jew and Gentile. Now it says that there's a dividing wall that was between them, and now it's been demolished. It's gone away. No more can the Jewish people see those who have faith in Christ as unclean because the blood of Jesus has made these people clean. Jesus did this by abolishing in the flesh the laws and the regulations because we aren't first century folks. We're going to miss some of the language here. There's something really amazing going on in this text that we'll miss because we're so far removed from the text. When When Paul talks about the dividing wall, he isn't just talking about something figurative. He's talking and pointing to and alluding to the wall in the temple court. Now, if you look at this circle I put around the Gentiles' courtyard and the arrows to make sure you don't miss it, Gentiles couldn't go into the temple. There was a wall that separated them. And there were actually signs that informed the Gentiles that they could not go into the areas where sacrifices and rituals occurred. Remember, they were outsiders, Paul says. They were without hope in the world. But Jesus abolished this by fulfilling the law. The things that once separated them are now fulfilled in Christ. The wall is torn down because of what Jesus has done. He was sacrificed, and so there are no more sacrifices to be done in the temple. Those are done away with, and so there's no more walls. The wall is gone. And this salvation that we have in Jesus does so much. And as we see here, he tore down that dividing wall so that those who are in him would not be separated, but they would be one people. Gentiles, like us, aren't reconciled to God one way, and Jews reconciled to God another way. This grace that we've seen that Paul is so obsessed with here in Ephesians, is for anyone, anyone who has faith. And as a result, the hostility that exists should not be there anymore. We are all one in Jesus Christ. There's no distinction based upon an earthly standard. Instead, all that matters is whether or not you are in Christ. And the message goes to those who were far off those who were on the other side of the wall. And the message goes to those who were near, those who were near the temple. It went to everyone. There's no distinction. There is just Christ. And because of him, we have access in one spirit to the Father. And I want us to really grasp the gravity of this today. In the old covenant, only the Hebrews had access to God. Remember what Paul said. They were without hope in the world, the Gentiles were. To use Paul's language from this passage, God was near to the Hebrews. But but really, I want us to ask, how near was he? He was near to them in rites and rituals at the temple. And most of these commands and regulations, though, were done by priests. So how near were the actual Hebrew people? They were closer than the Gentiles, yes, But how near were they to God? 
what we see here in what Paul is saying is even closer than the Jews had to God. No longer is it priests doing rituals in temples and courtyards. Now, even Gentiles, even us, we have access to God. We are closer to God because we have access to God through the Spirit. We hear the Word, and the Spirit works in us, and we have access to the Father because of the work of Jesus for us. So our closeness to God the Father is because we have God the Spirit, because of the work of God the Son. Notice here in this passage how the Trinity is present. And that's how close we are to God. All three persons of the Trinity are working together for our salvation to bring us near to God. A closeness that could not have been fathomed under the Old Covenant. And this means that all of us, we're the people of God. All those who have been given the gift of faith, we're citizens of the kingdom of God. We're all members of God's household. We're all family. Notice here the imagery that Paul is using as we look at this, the, uh, these two, three verses. Something is being built. We saw just a few sentences back that the wall was torn down. So that's been torn down, but we're not just going to leave a pile of rubble, according to Paul. There's new imagery in place that he's talking about. Something is being built in its place. A house, a temple made of God's people. The outsiders and the insiders together being built up. And we can see from what Paul has to say here that this was the plan all along. This isn't just the idea of the apostles. He also says the prophets spoke about this. And we see that this idea of the Gentiles being brought into the household of God is from prophetic writings. It's from the Psalms. It's from the apostles. It was the plan all along. And while the apostles and the prophets have laid the foundation, Jesus is the cornerstone, we read. He is what is holding the whole thing together. He is the necessary component for the salvation that they have and to unite his people together to be this new temple. Not a temple with divisions, but one temple made of people to bring praise and glory to God alone. And we see the point emphasized one last time as we come to the end of our passage for this week. Specifically speaking to the Gentiles, we see here that Paul reminds them that they are being built together as a dwelling for God to live in by the Spirit. Impossible to imagine that those who were far off could, could now be so close to God that they're described as his household, that they are being built up, that they're dwelling together. It's as if Paul is saying, just in case you don't believe this, or you don't get this, here's what I'm saying. You, yes, you, even you, are being built up in this way to be a part of God's family. You're no longer outsiders. You're now a part of the household of faith. And all of this brings glory to God. That's amazing imagery. A wall torn down and then a temple built up of God's people without divisions. He's torn it all down. And he's building us up for something far more glorious than a temple. A wall was there before. It was dividing us. 
but in its place is this glorious temple where God dwells with us. He dwells with his people through the Spirit because of the work of Jesus. And for us today, there's many ramifications of what this can mean for us. We're God's people. And we can look around this room, and even though we have a lot in common amongst us, there's so many things that could separate us. We could all make lists. Reasons that we maybe shouldn't be united to this person or to that person. But here we are. We gather together each week. We're united. We are one. We gather because we have the most important thing in common. God has come near to us, and he's given us the gift of faith. We've heard the gospel and believed because of the work of the Holy Spirit in us. So despite our differences, despite the things that could separate us, what we do each and every Lord's Day is we lift our voices as one. We've been united as God's family. And when we speak, when we sing, and when we pray together in this place, we exhibit what Paul is talking about here. We are one people bringing praise and glory to God. He's united us. And that's part of the beauty of biblically framed worship. Because we praise together. We confess together. We hear and believe together. And we even offer our gifts together. We are united in Christ. All of this is such a huge part of why we gather each week. To be with family. To be with the ones that we are united with. Because we are the household of faith. One body. One voice. To paraphrase my favorite living theologian, Mike Horton. He says this, we like to think the church we attend is a group of people we like that we have chosen. But it is actually a family that God has chosen for you. A family that God has chosen for you. And so we think about how we can be this body of Christ together and how we can be this united family, united under Christ. We confess the faith together. We worship together. But we also care for one another. In the past few weeks, I, I've seen such amazing examples of how we love and how we care for one another in this congregation. And it's my prayer that as we come to a fuller understanding of the gospel and how we are united together, how it's binded us together in Jesus, that we will grow and abound in this, and we will be a witness to the world. And so as we step into the world this week, I want to challenge you to remember what Christ has done. Yes, he saved you, but his blood has also made us family. It's brought us near to him, but so have your brothers and sisters been brought near to God in him. It's united us. It's made us one in Christ. So as you journey on your path this week, may you be a blessing to others in this family.
and to those outside the family, that they might hear and believe of this oneness we have in Christ and through the proclamation of the gospel come to faith in him. May you bless others, but may you also be blessed to be a part of this family of the household of God. Amen.